pasture. They cried, the Lord. And therefore, thus says the voice of God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will build security. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought the people Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Who is he speaking against? Shepherds. The shepherds of Israel. What were the well, what does it mean, shepherds? Priests, more broadly, kings, more broadly, leaders. Really, the leaders of Judah were all supposed to be spiritual leaders. So, so here probably mostly, you know, prophets and priests and the people that were really supposed to be guiding and directing and feeding the people. What was going on with these shepherds? What were they doing? They were sheep and uh, wolves and sheep clothing. That's exactly right. They were doing what the wolves normally do. They were destroying and scattering the sheep. That's bad when you got a shepherd doing what the wolves do, but that's what you had. And uh, how does God feel about this? Because they're his flock. <laughs> These are the guys he's put in as shepherds over his flock. What would you think if you had a flock of sheep you really loved, you gave it over to some shepherd to take care of, instead of taking care of them, they started eating them. You know, they started abusing them. They started, you know, scattering them. That would be outrageous behavior. He says, you have not attended to them, verse 22, verse 2, behold, I'm about to tend to you. He said, you haven't taken the sheep. You haven't taken care of the sheep, so I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> he uses the same verb, but in a different sense. You know, you don't take care of the sheep, you'll get taken care of. And that's exactly what he's going to do with these shepherds. He's going to gather the flock. He's going to bless them. He's going to raise up some good shepherds over them who will tend them, who will care for them. God's not going to let the sheep keep being abused like this. He'll raise up the kind of shepherds he wants. He says, the days are coming, verse 5, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land, and so forth and so on. Now, David was the... David was the... What was his role? King. King. God's going to raise up for David a righteous branch. Now David's lineage comes right down to Jeconiah and ends. 
And so it's like you've got the nation of, of uh, Israel. Like imagine that the nation of Israel, I'm not very good at this, but is a great tree. <laughs> and then Babylon comes along. You, you have to have an imagination. <laughs> That's a, that is a tree. Yeah. And so then, I don't know if we got an eraser, but you imagine... Yeah. Anyhow, you imagine Babylon cuts down the tree and all those parts gone. And so you got just a stump in the ground. And then there's kind of a shoot that comes from out of this trunk. And from that shoot springs forth a new tree. Now that is what he's saying when he says a righteous branch. David's kingship was cut down. Then God's going to give a new life. Right. Um, there's like the reference in Isaiah 11 and it says therefore uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit so exactly the same Isaiah 11 uses that Jeremiah will use it again Zechariah uses that same idea that idea of the branch or the shoot is, is repeated several times in the prophets to say God's going to give new life to his fallen nation and to the fallen dynasty of David. And this branch, this shoot that's going to rise up, what's he going to be like? He's going to be king. What kind of a king? Wise and just and righteous. He's going to be exactly the kind of king God always wanted the kings to be. And how are the how's the flock going to be with this new king? Yeah, it's going to be great. Instead of being scattered and destroyed, they're going to be well taken care of, well watched out for. They're going to be blessed. And his name shall be called the Lord our righteousness, which was basically, ironically, that's basically the name Zedekiah. Zedekiah means the Lord our righteousness. But this new shoot that's coming forth, he's going to live up to Zedekiah's name. Zedekiah was a far cry from being a righteous king. But... This new branch is going to be everything Zedekiah's name said he should have been. Isn't that interesting? So, and he says, now they'll say, they won't say anymore, as the Lord lives that brought Israel out of Egypt. They'll say, as the Lord lives that brought Israel out of the north land. The north land means where? Babylon. So what is that saying when he says they won't say anymore God that brought him out of Egypt but God that brought him out of Babylon? What's he mean by saying it that way? Just as significant. Even more so. You know, God will be more known for the new deliverance than he was for the old one. That'll be an even greater deliverance. And I really think here he's using the Northland really more to talk about the deeper significance of Babylon. Really, it's going to be the God that delivers his people from the bondage of sin. 
God's new exodus under this new branch that comes out is going to be not just from the physical Babylon, but from the world of sin, the spiritual Babylon. God, do we think of God as being a redeemer mostly because he brought his people out of Egypt? Or mostly he's a redeemer because he brings us out of bondage to Satan? Isn't that what we more think of God's redemption as meaning for us? That's the greater deliverance that he's given to us. Um, okay, I've got a couple more things to say, but let me pause and ask you for questions and comments about this section. Yes, Cameron. It was going down the list of the kings here, and talking to each one specifically, and then once it got to Zedekiah... It doesn't go to Zedekiah. It doesn't. So then is Zedekiah not yet... Maybe, that, maybe that's the case. Remember that in Jeremiah, the prophecies are not in chronological order, so we have no idea when he spoke this. But maybe that's the case. Because then if afterwards, then this guy Zedekiah comes along, after Jeremiah said a guy named Zedekiah is going to come along, would that be a partial fulfillment and then the ultimate fulfillment, or would that really just be a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence, but you got the Zedekiah who wasn't a Zedekiah, and then you finally get the guy who really is. So I don't think Zedekiah is at all a fulfillment because he sure wasn't anything like this. But I think he is making a play on the term Zedekiah. Maybe in a sense you should see this passage as going ahead and now talking about the, the Zedekiah. But just talking about it in the sense of that God's going to bring a real Zedekiah on the throne. There's one more thing I want you to see in this passage. Verse 4. What will God raise up? Shepherds. Does that strike you as strange? What would you expect him to say? Shepherds. Would you say? Shepherd. Shepherd, yes. Which would be Jesus. He says, I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer. Why does he use the plural there? Because it reminds me of it, just because he was like, I, well, I don't know, it just reminds me of Jesus' prayer about how, like, none of them have gone who you gave me. Okay, but that's Jesus still as the shepherd yeah. over them. Like the elders of church? Sure. I think that God not only gives Jesus as the great shepherd, as the ultimate shepherd, but God has also given to his people in Christ human shepherds to watch out and care for and bless them. And so God raises up some man to care for his people and to bless them. Now, not every human shepherd turns out to be a good shepherd. And you've got passages like Acts 20 that warn that even out of the elders, some would come who would be wolves in sheep's clothing. So this is not a blanket endorsement of every elder. But God has raised up some really good godly men to be good shepherds for his people. Some of you are in churches that have good shepherds. Some of you are probably in churches that don't have such good shepherds. But I know a few of the shepherds in several of the churches where you are that are really good men, they really fulfill this role. Remember when you think about them, 
God's the one who raised them up. You know, God's the one who's providing that great guidance and leadership, you know, for you. Okay, things you want to say through verse 8. 9 to 15. As for the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I have become like a drunken man, even like a man overcome with wine, because of the Lord, because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. The land mourns because of the curse, and pastures the wilderness, and the pastures of the wilderness have dried up. Their course is also evil, and their might is not right. For both prophets and priests are polluted. Even in my house I found their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their way will be like slippery paths to them. And they will be driven away into the gloom and fall down in it. For I will bring calamity upon them, and the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and that they strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become become to me like Sodom, and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood, and to make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. So we're moving now to talk about what role? Prophets. The prophets. Now, when Jeremiah just starts thinking about and talking about the prophets, how does he feel? Brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. Drunk. Drunk. What would be some other good adjectives? Bones are shaking. What does that mean? Nervous. That that picture in verse 9 is pretty strong, isn't it? Like shocked, devastated, appalled, overwhelmed. This is just, wow, hit the bone shaking. Can I get your bone shaking? That's your structure. You know, this isn't just, you know, the quivering flesh. You know, he didn't just get goosebumps. His whole structure shook. These prophets are terrible. You know, he's really upset. The land's full of adulterers. I think probably here mostly spiritual adultery. They're following after idol gods and not after the Lord. And, you know, their course is evil, verse 10. Their might's not right. Both prophet and priest are polluted. They're wicked. And God is going to bring them down. Now, when, when it comes to the kings, like we were looking at in chapter 22, what does, in, in chapter 22, you know, what was the main issue to be a good king? To be a good king, you need what? Wisdom, Wisdom and justice. Good kingship is based on justice and righteousness. Now, to be a good prophet, what do you really need? God's word. God's word. You need authentic 
words that come from God. You need integrity to deliver the right message. That's really the key to a prophet. Because a prophet is a spokesman. And if a prophet ends up using his own words instead of God's words, he's unfaithful. So that's really the key. Now, he goes back and he says in verse 13, Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. When he says Samaria, he means where? Israel. Israel, the northern kingdom. Now think about the chronology of Jeremiah. What's going on in Samaria when Jeremiah is speaking this? Yeah, they've been in captivity for a hundred years. <laughs> so how well did it go for Israel when their prophets prophesied by Baal and led the people astray? That was kind of disastrous. You know, now wouldn't you think that the prophets of Judah should learn a lesson from that? You know, it's always bad for the oldest sibling. You know, you see the oldest sibling get punished for something, how should the younger siblings react? Don't do it. Don't do it. See, he has to take the punishment you learn from him. Well, sometimes it doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's what should have happened with Judah. Ooh, we saw what happened when the prophets prophesied by Baal and led the people astray. They should have learned. But he says also among the prophets of Jerusalem, they've committed adultery, walked in falsehood, strengthened the hands of the evildoers, so that nobody turned back from his wickedness. When the prophets prophesy false things, they more or less prevent people from repenting like they should have. They give false comfort, false hope, they lead them astray, they speak messages that are false, and so they ended up being right alongside Sodom and Gomorrah. In God's sight, he said, these people are just like Sodom and Gomorrah to me. It is bad to get compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of any other place worse than that. You know, God calls his own people, you're just like Sodom and Gomorrah to me. Whoa. It's about like saying, well, you know, you got about as much kindness as Hitler has. Or something like that. Whoa. That's a, that would be a put down. You know, so he's saying that's what you become because these prophets have led you astray. Here are some shepherds that were really bad. So what God is God going to do? Well, God is going to uh, give a, a big banquet for the prophets. Isn't that nice? And what's going to be on the menu? Poison water. Yeah. Hmm, maybe that's not so nice. Yeah, wormwood and poison water. Uh, so uh, this is kind of the anti-banquet. I'm going to feed them some things that are going to drive them to an early grave. Because they've been leading the people astray, prophesying by Baal and not by God. Comments and questions? Just show how much we need to make sure if we're Teaching something, we need to teach something. What's God? God's word. Amen. That's that's a key element. I mean, it doesn't make a difference how good a speaker you are and how charming and eloquent. If your content's not what God says, it's going to be harmful instead of helpful. Cameron. 
it's interesting saying he's laying out all these things that were wrong with them, the king, the prophet, the priest. And then um, in Zechariah chapter 6, it shows him just combining all three of those, uh, specifically king and priest uh, and Jesus, and that he has a solution to this. No human can do this anymore. So now we have a better setup, now that we have Christ. And no longer do we have this kind of stuff leading us, and so now we have no excuse to go off and make sense. Good point. Yeah, we have the ideal prophet, the ideal priest, and the ideal king in Jesus. Other thoughts? In the New Testament, it was comparing Sodom and Gomorrah, wasn't it, with the cities that didn't... It was, Matthew 11. Yeah, that they're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And that was because they weren't accepting the word of God, wasn't it? Yeah, they had Jesus present. You know, and and to be unfaithful when Jesus is there is even more outrageous. Yeah. Logan. Um, I was realizing this as we were reading it through this time. But in verse 9, when he gives a description of how he feels when he sees the prophets and how they've gone astray, I was thinking that if we think about the world like this, the people who have gone astray in like our everyday when we see people just walking down the street. If we think about them like this, I feel like it will give us a better motivation to be able to teach them. Good point. That it ought to bother us when we see people teaching wrongly and misleading others and knowing what they were leading them to do and to lose their soul. And you see Jeremiah was righteous enough that it really affected him. Yeah, very good point. Other thoughts? Okay, uh, 16 to 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You will have peace. Uh, and as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, Calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, that he, that he should hear, see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest, it will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these, prophet, these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. If, but if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil deeds. Okay, let me do something right here. Stephen Thompson is he's going to try to join us on Skype. So I'm going to have to look at this a minute to see if I can keep up with that. If he comes on here, I'll, I'll put him on. Okay, um, wow. This is pretty strong stuff here. And I think really helpful to us. He says in verse 16, don't listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. What was wrong with these prophets that meant they shouldn't listen to them? 
Ultimately, they weren't speaking with the God. That's the key. Where were they speaking from? See, like their own, their own hopes, because they're kind of like dreaming it up that they're going to be saved from whatever judgment is going to be Exactly. They sort of invented their own message. <laughs> you know, they came up with what they wanted to teach and preach. The key element in a faithful prophet is just following orders. You know, speaking the right thing. Now, when they spoke the wrong thing, what did it do? What was the result of that? Well, what were they saying? What was the wrong thing? Everything's going to be fine. Well, that's a great message. <laughs> but well, doesn't God have a message of peace and hope? Ultimately. Well, what's wrong with preaching it? You don't actually have it if you're not following God. Exactly! Yes, there is a message of hope and peace from God, but not for the people who are stubbornly rebellious. That's not the message God has for them. Now, when they preach things like the end of verse 17, calamity will not come upon you. What's that going to do to this sinful nation? Exactly! It's going to encourage them just to continue in their sinful behavior and they're not going to repent and be saved. So they actually hurt these people. It's like having a doctor who says, Oh, don't worry. You don't have cancer. When you do, he did the exams. He knows you've got it, but he doesn't want to hurt your feelings. You know, he wants you to like him. Is that the kind of doctor you want to go to? I think I'd like him more if he told me I was about to die. <laughs> well, I don't know that you'd like him more, but uh, with that, but I think it would be more helpful to you. Yeah. I mean, wow, what an irresponsible doctor who just tries to figure out what you'd like to hear instead of saying to you what the true results of the exams are. And he does all these tests, he finds out you've got cancer of this, that, and the other thing, and he says, oh no, you know, you're fine, you know, it's just an allergy, or whatever. That, that's a very irresponsible doctor. And, and these false prophets were saying, calamity will not come upon you. But what God has been saying in almost every chapter of Jeremiah Calamity will come upon you. And that what Jeremiah's message was. And Jeremiah was speaking the message from God. There is a gap between the lifestyle of these people and the reassuring messages of these false prophets. They didn't fit each other. They were not speaking God's message to these people. You know, so it really kind of numbs the people. They're almost giving an anesthetic to the people so that they don't see the gravity of their predicament. You know, think about it this way. I thought this was a cool way to think about it. Prophets should be doctors, not cooks. You know, they ought to be trying to recover the patient, not to please the palate. You know, we got, there's too many preachers that are cooks. They're not doctors. So they're just trying to figure out, what, what food would you like to hear? 
You know, what, what, do you, what do you like the taste of? You know, instead of figuring out, what do you need? What kind of medicine is going to help you get well? Not what kind of medicine is really, is really uh, you know, really delicious. So that's what these prophets were. A true prophet, look at verse 18. What, but who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word. You know, somebody who's really listened to the Lord, well, he preaches about this storm of the Lord coming forth in wrath, swirling down on the head of the wicked, verse 19. That is the true prophet. Now, who likes to hear a true prophet? That message is unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. You know, who wants to hear about this swirling storm of God coming down on your head? Isn't that wonderful? You know, don't you love that? But that's the truth. And a true prophet will preach the message that will help the people repent and not allow that calamity to come. You know, what kind of preacher do you like to hear? Usually not the ones that step on our toes. Yeah. That's the problem. You know, a lot of times, you know, a preacher that doesn't make any big moral demands, that makes you really feel good about yourself. Man, I love that guy. I always feel so good when I leave listening to him. He always just makes me feel better about myself. Well, that may or may not, may not be helpful. You know, do you want the doctor? Man, I just feel so good after I see that doctor. He always makes me feel like everything's going to be great. Well, you know, uh, he, he makes me realize I don't need to exercise and lose weight. I can just live like I want to. It'll be great. <laughs> well, yeah, you probably like a doctor like that, but he's not helping you. Uh, there are people, there are preachers and prophets that are willing to sell, you know, God's reassurance for enough money. You pay them well, they'll prophesy, you know, to order. You just tell them what kind of message you want. That's what they'll deliver. That's stupid. But people do that. People today like positive preaching. They don't want these negative preaching. Yeah, but sometimes people will say, I go to church to feel good. I don't go to church to feel worse. You know, I want to go, I want to be uplifted. All that sounds kind of good. Except if I'm not living right, what I need to hear is a message that will make me feel bad. So that's what you've got here. Um, and, and he says the anger of the Lord will not turn back, you know, until he has given the, the uh, you know, judgment, punishment that he said. Let me pause for a minute. Um, you know, comments and thoughts on, on what we've talked about so far. Right. Seems like there's been a lot of uh, Balak and Balaam references because, you know, that, that's exactly what Balak wanted. He wanted a prophecy come to order. But Balaam did was right and told them exactly what God told him to say. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's so much more important to have accuracy when you're a pro prophet. You know, it doesn't, it's, it's, our goal is not to make everybody like us. We really got to work on that. I mean, that's really hard. What do you do when you're talking to a friend? And he says, man, I, I'm just really happy because I think I'm really doing well spiritually. And you know they're not. 
You know, they say, well, I'm just so, I, I'm sure I'm going to heaven. And you know they're not. You know, when they come to you and say, there's nothing wrong with me doing this, is there? And you know there is. What do you say? What do you do? You know, that's really tough to be faithful and to say the right thing when you know they really want you to say the wrong thing. They'll think you're a nice guy if you tell them, yeah, it's fine. And I'm okay with that. You know, God will care. Wait a minute. Better not say that if he does. Now, look at verse 21. I didn't send these prophets, but they ran. I didn't speak to them, but they prophesied. You know, they you know, didn't preach the truth. I didn't tell them to say any of this. They said it anyway. You know, if they'd stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. You know, if they had really preached the truth, the people would have repented. You know, that's what true prophets do. True prophets, true preachers, they teach what's right and they get people to change. Comments and thoughts about that. Yes. Uh, the thing about it, like the main motive behind telling people they're fine or they're not, it's not that you care about them, it's just you care about what they think of you. Exactly! Isn't that the truth? Oh, I love them too much to tell them they're going to be, they're wrong and they're going to be lost. That's like the doctor who loves somebody too much to tell him he's got cancer and he needs to take some pain for treatment. That's not love! If you love somebody, you'll warn them. You'll help them. You'll tell them what's best for them. You won't just try to make them happy. When you're just trying to make them happy, you are just thinking about yourself. You want them to like you. You really love somebody, you warn them. These false prophets, what, were, what was their whole motivation? I think they may have wanted to reassure even you could kind of lie to the people and to themselves that they were going to be coming. That's true. I agree. But mostly, they wanted to get paid and have people like them and things like that. Yeah, it's selfishness. I mean, when you don't warn somebody and you know they need the warning, you know, think about simple things like this. One of your best Christian friends comes to you and they got a problem and they're crying and they need help. And they got a real bad situation and it's really bothering them. And whatever it is, what they will they need advice from you. They are they really need to lie to their parents. Because they're they're gonna have terrible consequences if they don't, but their conscience bothers them if they lie. So they're coming to you for advice, and they're really upset, and they really want you to tell them it's going to be okay if you do that. Is there a temptation to say, oh yeah, that'll be okay? Yeah, I don't think it'll be any problem. You know, under these circumstances, it'll probably be worse if you told them the truth, because you know this, that, you know, whatever rationalization we have, there's pressure on us to tell somebody what we know will make them happy. Instead of telling them what we know is true. We've got to do the right thing. We've got to tell them the truth. These false prophets were strongly, you know, opposed because they weren't 
preaching the truth. That's our goal. Somebody asks us a question, we shouldn't think, what do they want me to say? <laughs> we ought to think, what does God want me to say? That's what we ought to be doing. Comments and questions? Look what happened to Jonah when he didn't warn the city of Nineveh how God felt about that. God was not happy about that. He wanted him to warn him. That's, that's kind of the role of the prophet. It, it, remember what uh, God told Ezekiel he was supposed to be? Uh, watchman. A watchman. The watchman idea is you're on top of the city wall. You're watching for an enemy army to approach. What if the enemy army comes and it's an inconvenient time, you're still in the night, and everybody's sleeping? <laughs> Who wants to wake them up? Maybe, maybe you're just too nice to wake the people up to tell them the enemy's approaching. <laughs> you know, how would that be? That's not really so nice, do you think? Well, are our friends in trouble? Do we know people who don't know the Lord and we've never warned them? So we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't, we don't want to make them sad. What are we really thinking about? I don't want them to be sad with me. I'll sacrifice their soul for the sake of my comfort. Other thoughts? Alright, why don't we take a break for uh, 15 minutes, 10 or 15, and then we'll come back and look at some more of this.